In this episode, I'm actually fortunate to be able to bring you one of my greatest friends, Mauricio Raul. He's one of those guys that honestly, if I needed anything, I feel like I could call him and he would help me through it. And he has helped me through a lot. Mauricio is a syndication attorney. He works uh, directly with the SEC law around partnerships and forming securities. So that's kind of his, his field. When I first met him, he was also doing asset protection. So he helped Kara and I set up a lot of our asset protection along the way and taught us a lot about you know protecting our assets and making sure that we weren't exposed to frivolous lawsuits, if you will. And so I'm pretty excited about this episode. And in it, we get into you know Mauricio's life growing up, moving around the world as a kid. He ultimately went to Berkeley to study law, ended up landing a job at one of the greatest law firms, one of the largest law firms in the country, and then ultimately finding himself realizing that he didn't want that grind and, and left and started his own firm. Mauricio digs into one of my biggest lessons that I teach that applied to his life, like what do you really want and how he went through a breakthrough moment that changed the trajectory of his life. Mauricio shares a valuable take on the path to becoming a billionaire and why it's not for him, which is an interesting conversation. He talks a lot about using protection as a real estate owner and landlord. The further along we get, the more tenant friendly certain states become, the more important this is to not only protecting our assets from outside, but from inside as well. And then we dig into personal struggles with procrastination and how anyone can step through that struggle and become a better person. So any of you that are, you know, thinking of getting into syndication or just want to expand your mindset around your personal portfolio of law, uh, areas of trust planning, asset protection, any of that, this is going to be a great episode for you. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited about what we've got in store for you today. I've got one of my favorite people in the room in studio with me today, Mauricio Raul. Mauricio, thank you for joining us. Dude, thanks for having me. I was actually looking around to see who's, who's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> On top of all that, Mauricio, just a, he's a great friend, but he's also a great mentor. He's taught me a ton um, around business law and, and just syndication law. Uh, one of the most giving, fun, genuine people I've ever met. So um, just, I, and I mean that. Thank you. Um, yeah. That's not something that's going to start out my podcast every time. <laughs> um, so Mauricio, you got such an interesting backstory and career path. Um, why don't you just take a few minutes and just, um, you know, give us kind of the, the 30,000 foot view. Yeah. So I'm, I'm originally, I was born in Santiago, Chile. And um, when I was two years old, I moved to England. And between Chile and England, I spent the first 16, 15 and a half years of my life. So half of the time living in England, I uh, kept going back and forth between England and Chile. And then... 32 years ago now, moved to the U.S. as a 15-year-old high school student. Um, and, um, and then, you know, did, did the American dream. I, I mean, I went, to, I went to a really great uh, university up at Cal Berkeley. Um, and then went to law school, right? Um, almost didn't go to law school. I was really like, man, I really want to do real estate. Um, but um, like I, I just went to law school because I honestly had no idea what else to do. I don't know what else to do. So anyway, so did that. And then uh, I did what every law student dreams of doing. I went to work for like a large law firm in, in Southern California, Long Beach. Great law firm, great lifestyle law firm. It was amazing. I was there for seven years, um, but just it wasn't, it wasn't jibing. Like I was just, you know, I tell the story, I was getting up in the morning. I was literally showering, getting dressed, you know, 
hopping in the car, driving to work, working all day, working all night, driving back, right? Go home, maybe work out, eat, sleep, and then just like do it all over again. It was like, I was on the hamster wheel. And I was literally, I remember distinctly being in my office at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. And I had these out of body experiences where I, it was almost like I was in a helicopter uh, or maybe a drone right outside my, it was on the ninth floor, like looking back in in the whole building dark in my office. And I'm like, there's gotta be more than this to like, right? I'd walk into the office on weekends because, you know, we're all billable hours and I would walk in in the weekends and I'd see like partners who'd been there for years and years. I know had, you know, families and then they'd find in at 7 a.m. on a Sunday. And I'm like, gotta be something more than this. And so luckily for me, um, you know, I was at a birthday trip on the East Coast. I'm flying back. I'm looking, you know, for something to read. And I came across the purple blue book, the rich dad, poor dad, which I know you're, you're a fan of. And that was life changing. So I just reading it. I'm just, I remember reading it and just being like, yes, yes, yes. And it was just a, just a a mind blowing experience. And I literally read it on the plane. I was East coast. It was like five or six hours, but I just devoured it. And I was just blown away. And then, and a week later, two weeks later, I'm driving down LA because that's where I, 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 living at the time and i hear robert kiyosaki who's the author of that book have a radio drop-in for the real estate guys and his drop-in was hey this is robert kiyosaki author of rich dad poor dad if you're serious about investing in real estate (laughs) check out the real estate guys they really know what they're talking about wow and they had just started the real estate guys had just started their mentorship program their their um their thing down in socal and if i hadn't picked up that book that would have meant nothing like this i didn't know who couldn't pronounce Kiyosaki. I, don't, I wouldn't have known what that was. Right. So I went to this event for the real estate guys and they blew me away because I was interested, always interested in real estate. Blew me away, blew me away, went through their whole program, was really being a part of it. And then long story short, Russ Gray, one of the co-hosts approached me and said, hey, look, we're looking for a lawyer because I'm doing all the legal work, Russ. And I'm like, <laughs> man, that's a problem. Um, and so I'm like, well, you know, how much, how much are you paying? Cause I mean, everybody I know is making good money, like, you know, whatever. And long story short, I'm like, yeah, what about me? Great to get rid of this the current lifestyle. Yeah. I'll be taking a pay cut, but man, I'll be hanging out with these great guys. I'm just doing something that I actually enjoy. So anyway, went to work for them in house, did, you know, was their general counsel for many, many years. And then slowly, but surely just kind of started helping out their followers, their members, with, you know, asset protection, just kind of like a little legal stuff here and there. And that kind of started my own little business, um, which I then just kind of blew, grew, grew into Premier Law Group, uh, which I started in 2007, technically 2006, but it didn't really start using it until 2007. And um, at some point, you know, left, you know, had, a, had my, my time there and left the real estate guys, kept them obviously as a, a VIP client, but then grew my business from there. And, um, it's a lot of fun because when I was at the firm, I was doing litigation, which is all about, um, you know, responding to lawsuits and there's like that, that fighting, you know, you're always up against a plaintiff's lawyer and defense lawyers and, and moving into like the syndication world, which is what, what, which is what I do now where everybody's going in the right direction, the same direction, everybody's motivated to go buy these deals. It's so much more rewarding today than it was back then because i hate confrontation like that's not a good trait for a lawyer right (laughs) i hate confrontation and um so anyway so that's kind of a probably a little bit more than you you wanted to hear but that's how i got here and um you know just just super blessed to have i mean you know i haven't had a boss in 15 years or whatever the numbers are so love love doing my own thing having my own firm and 
doing whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. <laughs> you know, that, that's so, interesting. I got a, I got a different question, but be, before I go there. Um, so one of the reasons why I decided to start the invest for freedom podcast, it came out of a desire of mine, uh, to never really be limited to the amount of time that I could spend with my family doing whatever I want, whenever I want. And that doesn't mean I don't want to work. It doesn't mean that I don't want to be passionate about something, but what I'm most passionate about is my time and we can't get more of that. And so rewinding, um, you, you went to one of the best schools in the country. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. And you graduated, you became an attorney. You had, you were like, you you did it. You did the thing. Yeah. And then you found like you were in jail, which now you help people stay out of jail, but like you, you were, (laughs) you were, you were in jail. Yeah. Um, such an interesting concept. So what would you say to the listener out there that finds himself in the place where, uh, it's such an inspiring story because we, I think a lot of times we find ourselves in spots where, you know, we want so much more out of life, but we don't know how to get there. And you said something, you know, you saw this opportunity with the real estate guys and maybe you'd have to, you know, go backwards, take a cut and pay. But, but there was something, there was something driving you that was more than just the pay or the lifestyle oh, yeah, that you sure. had. So just kind of yeah. expand on that. A so little bit. first of all, I'm, I'm actually very proud of that. When people ask me like, what's your most, one of your proudest moments or whatever, that's definitely one of them leaving that great firm that I worked at that paid me really well. When I left, actually, I didn't have the real estate guys lined up. So I left without knowing, you know, I took a six month sabbatical Yeah. Uh, and actually the driving, the, the nail in the coffin also relating to the real estate guys is that they have their, you know, anything about the guys, they have an annual investor summit, investor summit at sea, a kind of a cruise, it's a seminar basically on the ship. And I'd signed up and it was in January and I wasn't going to be able to go because I just was swamped. Like I had all these trials coming up and it was like, and it wasn't the first time I'd missed so many vacation, not trips with the guys. I mean, but you know, I'm single back then and they're like, Hey, we're all going to Chicago. Great. We're getting hotels. Then I had to cancel last minute cause I had you know, some trial or some mediation. So that was the last draw. I was like, darn it. I'm like, I was, I was, I think I was also going to miss. Now I remember, I forgot about that. I was actually going to miss my goddaughter's christening. Well, wow. And so it just hit me and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Plus I had some health issues, which you, you know about. And that was, that's a stress from the job was also not helping those, those issues I was having. So I was like, I, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is not something. And I, and at least I had the confidence because I, I figured, look, worst case scenario is I, I literally sold my car and took six months off. I went, I went to Chile for like two and a half months. I kind of goofed around a little bit and I'm like, worst case scenario is I'll just get another job. I was like, I'm confident enough, like worst case scenario, I'll go find another law firm. I hope not, but I wanted to work in house general counsel somewhere. And this opportunity came up with the real estate guys and I took it. Um, it was a pay cut for sure, but there's obviously much more a life than the, than the, than the, than the check. And, and for me at that time, it was quality of life and also just the health stuff, not being the, the stress of that. Of, of keeping six minutes of your time, your billable hour, right? Every six minutes, every point one, you've got to keep track. It was just, it was too much. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. So, you know, we, we talk, we talk a lot about the five keys to freedom. At least I do. Um, number one is determine what you really want, determine why you want it, create a plan to get there. I'll, I'll circle back on this, but have a routine and system in place to measure the results and then adjust. What I really love about um, what you just said like you had laser clarity on what you really wanted. I'm assuming because uh, looking at it on the backside, you went all for it. I mean, you just went in knee deep and maybe you didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but you knew what you wanted or you knew what you didn't want. That's, I think that's, I knew that's not what, when I was walking, when I saw those partners signing on weekends, you know, at 7am, I just could see 
I fast forwarded 10, 15 years and I'm like, I, I don't want to wake up one day, have a family and be coming to work. Because typically you think a partner, you've made it like, oh, now I'm a partner and I put in the work now and, and seeing these guys. And I knew he was a family man too. Like, so, so seeing that I was like, it was more, I think the, I think the pain got to the point where like, I, I can't keep doing this. That's so good. You know, but you know. well, and, and that's, you, you rephrased it, but really a lot of times, I mean, what you didn't want helped you to get to, you said, you said your, your spouse, you wanted a spouse, you wanted time with your kids. Right. You didn't want to be married, not even right. to a nine to five. Like, I mean, these right. billable hours, like yeah. not being able to, to, to go to your uh, goddaughter's christening, like yep. through that, you and through what you, through understanding what you didn't want. You, you got laser clarity on what you yeah. wanted. So no, it, it's, um, yeah. What I didn't want to brush over, um, <laughs> and on the intro. So you, you've got a beautiful wife, you've got beautiful kids. Let's, um, give me, give me the 10,000 foot view on that. Yeah. So I, um, I mean, you know, I feel like I just, A, got super lucky and then kind of hit it out of the ballpark on that thing. So yeah, I have an amazing wife, my wife, Heidi, and we've got two amazing little girls, uh, five and three. And, um, and look, it's still a struggle, right? I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm not there, right? So I was just thinking about that on the way over. Like one of my goals for this year is to spend less time on the road because it just takes away time from family. And luckily, again, going to what you're saying, I, I have, I do have that control. Right? I, I can determine which trips I go to, what trips I don't go to. Um, there's actually a trip that I was going to go to, but it conflicted with a family thing. And I'm like, that's more important. So I had, I had that power to change it. But I mean, I don't want to kid anyone. I mean, I'm still working a lot of hours and they're sure. still, I still feel really guilty. I think a lot of people have this issue where they're at work, right? And you feel guilty because you're not spending time with your family. And then when you're spending time with your family, you're guilty because you feel like you should be spending time at work. Right, and that, right. that balance or that struggle. counterbalance is brutal. And I'm, I struggle with it every day. Yeah. I, I'm not really sure that uh, that ever really ends because we're just yeah. constantly looking for that balance. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people have this idea in their mind one of two things. I mean, the reason why I didn't want to start a company early on is because I had it in my brain. I was going to be working 90 or hundred hours a week. And then one day I woke up and I was actually doing that for right. another company. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this anyway, I might as well do it for myself. What I have realized is that, you know, by finding your freedom and owning your time and not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, let's just get real on that. Yeah. I mean, I think five or maybe 10% of, of, of the country or the world can be entrepreneurs and really have that self-discipline. So it is a struggle. It's a battle. It's a discipline thing. But also, I think there's a, a lie on the other side of that, that just because you start your own business or, you know, you have your own law firm that, you know, everything's just peachy keen and you have own, own your schedule. That's not necessarily true. That's either. not, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, that's not true at all. Um, I mean, I'm getting better at it. I mean, if we had this conversation two years ago, um, it'd be a little bit different because I was, it was two years ago, it was literally a one man show. And that's, that's a lot of work. Like you're just grinding and just, you're just doing everything through force. And then what I've realized, you know, is that in order for this to work, you really need to put together a team. So now it's a different struggle and a different thing. Cause now you're, you're trying to somehow move from you being the main person to having a team. And so that's been a very interesting journey in and of itself, but, um, yeah, man, it's just, it's a struggle, a good struggle, but it's, it's definitely a struggle, but yeah, the time thing is huge. Um, especially now, you know, just to digress a little bit, go back to the kids thing. So I love the fact that on a random Wednesday, I can take a couple hours here or there and spend time with the kids or, you know, they started soccer, right? So my oldest started soccer last year. Um, you know, practice starts at I don't know, four o'clock or something. And so I just, I just take, you know, I leave work, quote, quote, work early and I just leave and I, I got that luxury to go do that, which is fun. 
Um, and then same with the business drifts. If something conflicts, then I pull the plug. Do you believe that if somebody wants something bad enough, um, that we can have pretty much anything any way we want it? Yes. As long as they're real. Yeah. As long as you're real. Like, yes, for sure. If you, if you, I think if you, if you set a goal, you put your mind to something and you have an action plan to get there. And it's somewhat realistic. I, I don't want to say it's real because my goals are all unrealistic, right? So I don't want to <laughs> say they got to be realistic. But like, if you want to be, if you, if you have no money and you want to be a billionaire by next week, that's not, right? That's where I'm, that, that yeah. extreme I'm going. But if you understand the amount of work it's going to take, you can get it. So for example, one of my favorite, I know you're a big fan of the one thing with Gary Keller. Yep. I love Gary's um, definition of, what a goal is, right? Like, why do we have goals? A lot of people think goals are to achieve things, right? But goals really, the way he puts it is to be, to be appropriate in the moment, right? So okay. depending on what your goal is, what are you doing today to accomplish that goal? If I wanted to be a billionaire, I would have to do something. I can't do what I'm doing now and become a billionaire ever. Yeah. I have no interest in being a billionaire because I know how much work that's going to take. And I'm not willing to put in the time because yeah. I want to spend time with my family and all that stuff. Um, so as long as you're aware of what the amount of work, because all of it takes work, but yeah, I'm a big, I'm a huge believer in goals and setting goals and having a direction and putting an action plan together and executing it. Uh, I believe you can pretty much do anything you want. I love it. One of my favorite quotes, and it's, you know, back to the one thing, um, the FM Alexander quote. Yeah, love it. People don't determine their futures. People determine their habits, and then their habits determine their futures, right? And so, that I mean, that's, that's just such a... That's another great quote, and, I, and I'm terrible at that. So, I, you know, I struggle with habits. I struggle with you know, routines, and I think that was one of your five, right? And I'm, I'm terrible at routines. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, but, but I'm, I think the... the the, the, the day I found out, I don't remember the exact moment, but whenever I found about, out about goals and personal development and all that stuff, that's when things change. I think if you know what you want and um, you've got to have a vision. I mean, that's, there's just no other way around it. Like if you don't have a vision of where you want to be or a goal, then you just end up wandering around. So true. You know? One of the reasons why I really love talking with you, Mauricio, is like, you, you know, you just got a diversity of knowledge. We could get into a million different things, but um, at the end of the day, um, Premier Law Group is uh, your practices around syndication. Yeah. Right? So yeah. just just for the listeners that don't know what syndication is, but talk to me about it. Syndication is simply um, pooling resources, typically money, right? So typically people pool other people's money to go buy something that they otherwise couldn't buy themselves. So in my world, most of it is real estate. So if I want to go buy, I'm going to make it up a million dollar piece of property. I don't have a million dollars. I go out to my friends and family or investors and I get a million dollars worth of investments and I go buy my property. Um, whenever that happens, you fall into certain rules and regulations that you got to follow. And, and that's what I do. I make sure that when people do that and they collect all these monies that they're doing it legally in compliance with all the laws. So anytime I'm raising money from somebody, am I potentially in a security? Anytime you take money from someone where the returns are generated by your efforts, it's a security. Interesting. Anytime. So the, the cheat sheet there is, that's already a cheat sheet, but the cheat sheet of the cheat sheet is if 
if the people giving you money are passive, meaning they give you a check and then they go home and sit on the couch and watch TV and you do all the work and basically just give them a return, that's a security. Um, and generally with securities, you've got to either register them. I always joke, you've got to either register these securities with the SEC, find an exemption to that registration or they're illegal. So this isn't like legal zoom when we're starting up an LLC where somebody no, can just like, that's, you know, this is, that's probably one of the biggest fallacies. Um, and I always like, there's like a few things, but, uh, uh the number one fallacy or the, the biggest mistake, let's put it that way. And I wrote it this about, I've got an ebook called the five things every syndicator should know to stay out of jail. But number one is so un- good by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, understanding that you're issuing securities. I mean, there's so many people that are raising money and it doesn't have to be real estate. You can raise money for a business. You could raise money to, you could be like premier law group could be like, Hey, I need, I want to expand. I need to go hire a bunch of people. It's going to cost me 300 grand. I don't have 300 grand. I could go to the bank and get a loan or I could have three investors give me a hundred grand for my business. Right. Okay. Wait, I I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I was talking to a guy the other day that's raising capital for a protein bar. Like they're launching this protein bar. So if he's going to raise capital from a hundred different investors, that's a security. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it's not just real estate. No, it's not just real estate at all. So any, because he's taking money from investors, he's doing all the work and he's giving them a return, whatever he's promising, 5%, 10%, 20%, double your money, triple your money, whatever it is. Um, that is issuing a security. Um, the only time it's not a security technically, you know, obviously if you're, and it's not really raising money either, but if you're taking, you know, charitable contributions, if you're a charity and you're, you know, taking donations, I guess technically that could be considered raising money, but they're not getting a return. It's the same thing with like Kickstarter and all those, you know, like you're not, you're, you're donating, you might get a t-shirt or something, but you're not, you're not getting a piece of the company and the profits or whatever. But anytime you're, somebody's raising money, you're dealing with security. Some people I think also, but there's a, there's a, an, an enormous amount of people that, that, that do that. They, they, they don't, they don't know any better. They're right. just, they don't know. They just, they're raising money. They don't like, why am I think about it? Why, why is, why is this a security? I'm buying a piece of property. I'm buying a nutritional bar, whatever protein bar. Like why is securities? Like why? So it doesn't even occur to them. The other group is they kind of know about it, but then they try and get creative and like, Oh, but I'm going to structure it a certain way. And, and I'm going to get around the securities laws, Got which it. is another whole thing. But you know, I'm a, I'm a part of a lot of these communities, like, you know, like bigger, bigger pocket is a great example. So you go on bigger pockets and there's a lot of Q and a on like people are asking questions. They're just starting. And the amount of questions like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm doing this and I'm going to go raise, I'm going to take 25 grand from four people and, you know, and I'm going to do something. And they, and then people remind them, Hey, you should probably talk to a securities lawyer. And they're like, why? So is it just as simple as like, because we're issuing shares in an LLC or a company or something? That's, I mean, that's where the security, we're, we're yeah. selling shares in a company. Yeah. That's- but it's not just a, yeah. So that's the traditional. Yeah. So if, if you're doing an investment, typically the people who are giving you money, you're giving them something in return, whether it's shares in your company or, or if it's an LLC, you know, membership units, or maybe it's a loan, you're giving them a, a note, right? Okay. So those are all securities, but it doesn't even have to be, and that's where people get hung up. It doesn't have to be a company. You could, you could literally have a handshake okay. with these people or a high five. I always joke, you could do, you can, the structure doesn't matter. Wow. The fact that you are, again, taking money from somewhere where the returns are being generated by your efforts, you're dealing with security. So I talked to, and, and you, you made a comment that I think was pretty interesting that I don't want to wax over. So I, I don't think, 
I mean, generally it seems like people just don't know about this. Right. So like most people don't know that they need to form a security. That's right. 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 Well, they don't form a security. They're, they're by law issuing a security, Got whether it. they know it or not. Cool. Right. Ignorance of the law. Right. You yep. always learn that. So it's happening. They just don't realize it. And so now they're violating all these laws because they're not complying and following the rules. And, um, that's what that can get them into trouble. So I, I, I talk to people all the time over the years that, you know, there's five partners that are going to get together and they're going to buy a piece of property together. And, you know, four of them are going to be investors. One of them is going to buy a piece of property. He's going to build a house on it. Four of them are investors. Is that a security? I like, I like the fact that you picked five, but yeah. So if it depends on what those four are doing, if they're passive investors, if they're just writing a check and you're doing all the work, a thousand percent, that's a security. If the four of them and you are all actively, you basically started a business together, right? You, me, Andrew, Mike, John, whatever. We all start a business or all five of us are actively involved. Then maybe not. Okay. The challenge is you picked five, which is a, is a tricky number because at some point, the number's too big where there's no way you can show that everybody's active Got it. and five's right around there. So I think four is fine. If you and me and two other people get together and we all divvy up the work and we're all actively involved, that's fine. I had a client once that had 25 people that he wanted to show were all actively involved. I mean, that's just not going to fly. There's no <laughs> way all 25 of you are, there's one, at least one person out there that's doing nothing and is passive right? because they're meeting in Aspen once a year. They're all right. Active. Exactly. Like, <laughs> so, um, the SEC at some point said five is kind of the limit. So I always try and keep it under five, but yeah, man. And the, and the challenge is, and what really is, and I had a conversation yesterday with someone, what's really difficult is just like anything there, because there's so, so much regulation, the compliance cost is really high, So it makes no sense for you to raise a hundred grand. Got because it. it's going to cost you so much money to raise it because of all the legal fees and the filing fees and all this stuff that it makes no sense. Like until you start raising five, six, seven hundred grand, it just doesn't, it, it, it'll kill. Like if you've got a, you know, if you're raising a hundred grand because you want to go buy a piece of property, it's going to cost you $15,000. Right. That's going to kill everything. Got it. So uh, without getting too far into the depths of this, there's several different types of securities. Like, I mean, specifically in our world, we talk about it like a 506B, 506C. Can you, can you just, without- yeah, well, that's super, that, that sounds technical, Mike. Yeah. Um, so those are the exemptions. So you can either register that security, but that's going public. Like that's, that's forget it, right? That's going to take and that's forever. That's what most of us think about, right? Like, isn't Yeah. When you think that's like stock, you know, the stock market, right? Yep. Like if you go public, you know, IPO, I mean, that's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. It's going to take years to get through. Like you don't, nobody does that. Don't do that. Nobody in our world does that. Especially for a hundred grand. Right. <laughs> so you always look for an exemption and that's where I live, just finding the right exemptions. And the most popular ones are these things called Reg D exemptions. That's what we were talking about. You were talking about the 506B, 506C, and they all just have their own list of bullet points you got to hit. You just got to make sure that you comply with those if you want to rely on those exemptions. And if you blow those, you've blown an exemption and now you're back to square one, which is like you're doing an illegal offering because you're selling a security without the proper license or the right exemption or the registration. You, you mentioned your book, which we'll circle back to. What, what's your book called? The five things every syndicator must know to stay out of jail. Perfect. And actually, that's probably a book that everybody should get if they're thinking about uh, bringing in partners or investing in businesses. Because really, as I'm like talking through this with you, um, there's probably a lot more people that are really partaking or oh. 
part of a security and they don't even really know it. So yeah. anyway, we'll get back yeah. to the book. And but. it's an ebook, so I don't want to be carried away. A lot of people know about it. It's, it's getting by the time this comes out, I think it'll be done. But that's yeah, an ebook. I don't want to get too carried away. Nice, <laughs> but, it, but it's still good information. <laughs> oh, right? it's great. I, that's why it's taken so. Long. It started as like an article, and then I blew it up to an, a regular ebook, and now I'm making it into like a solid ebook. So just for the interest of time, give us the top three things that you know we should avoid as syndicators, or we should know. The the one we just talked about is is by not by far, but it's definitely number on my in my ebook is number one. Like not even just realizing that when you're raising money, you you're probably issuing securities, right? And you got to register it or find an exemption, even if it's a protein bar. Even if it's a protein bar. Uh, the second one is probably the one I see the most these days, which is kind of a hot topic. Is um, you know with the with social media being so prevalent, the most common exemption that people rely on prohibits you from advertising, mm. right? And social media, that's all. If you post something on social media, that that's going to be considered advertising. Um, and so a lot of people are doing deals where they're, they're hiring lawyers, they're doing everything right, um, but they're just careless or, again, not aware that the posts that they're doing on Facebook or Instagram or you know, Snapchat or whatever, any of these, LinkedIn, they're going to be considered advertising, and that's going to blow their exemption. So anytime you're raising capital, just make sure you're talking to your lawyer. Just anytime you want to post something on, on social media about your business or your raise, if you're doing a raise, you just want to make sure you're talking to the company. And then the other one, um, you know, referral fees is another one. Again, a lot of people who are looking, if you need it, you know, you want to raise even a hundred grand, 200 grand, you know, whatever. There's always somebody who can introduce you to somebody. Right. And they always want like a little referral yeah. fee or something. And that's a big no, no. Um, you can certainly accept referrals, but you can't compensate somebody for a referral. That's, that's what we call broker, broker dealer. You need a license to do that. So um, that has issues for both sides. It has an issue for the person receiving the referral because they're, you know, they're practicing without a license. Just like you can't, you know, you can't practice medicine without a license. You can't be a lawyer without a license. You can't act as a broker and, and receive uh, fees uh, without a license. And then the person accepting the, accepting the referral and paying the, the referral fee um, they don't disclose that, right? One of the big things when you're selling securities is just disclosing all the information that the investor needs to know. And that would be a, a mat very material. I mean, just think about it. Like if you knew that the person making the introduction to the investment is getting paid, wouldn't that change? Yeah. Potentially change your opinion about the investment. So just getting paid referral fees is another, another big one. So, um, and again, without getting too far in the weeds, you said, um, so there's an exemption where we can't advertise. So is it, I've, I've heard you say before that like we essentially need to have a pre-existing relationship. Yeah. So the, the most common way you show that you did not advertise is to show that you have a pre-existing substantive relationship with that investor. So you and I, Mike, have known each other for a bazillion years. And so if I have an investment and you write me a check for an investment, I clearly have a relationship with you. It's, it's substantive. I've known you for a long time. And so I clearly did not, I did not advertise for you to come, you know, come to me. So that's the most common, common way of to prove that you did not advertise because just like everything else, the, the laws are not very clear on what advertising is or isn't. Right. right. So you've got to go back with all these, but this is one of the small, this is one of the few areas that it, that you can actually rely on where you say, Hey, 
If you have a pre-existing substantive relationship, then you have, by definition, have not advertised or solicited to that person. So let me ask you a quick question, whether it's through real estate or whether it's the guy raising the money for the protein bar. Um, if I have a podcast and people are listening to my podcast and they're on my list and, or let's say I do an event, I, I do events and, you know, somebody gives me their email. Um, is that a pre-existing relationship? No, not even close. So there are, I think, six steps, six or seven steps that you should probably follow when you have somebody that you came into your world legally. So this is all assuming it's all legal. Like if you're on this podcast or any, or if you're a guest on that, like if I, I'm a guest on this podcast, let's say I have a, I'm raising money. If I start blabbering about, Hey, call me. I'm looking to raise a million dollars for this apartment building in Texas. You know, my numbers, you know, three, one, Oh, blah, 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 blah. Call me. That's going to be average. So if I get the email based on that, forget it. That's clearly advertising. But if you get an email in a legal way, for example, Hey, you want to get a copy of my ebook or I've got, you want to shoot me an email or, Hey, look, I'm happy to talk to you. Why don't you email me and I'll talk to you about legal stuff. Then I've obtained that email legally, but I can't offer them my deal because I don't know them. So you've got to go through a process where you take this person from a complete stranger all the way to having this substantive relationship. And even then, once I establish that substantive relationship, I can only offer them the next deal because the relationship needs to pre-exist. It has to be a pre-existing substantive relationship, which means pre-existing pre-existing the deal um and that it's primarily you know the the top two of those i think you know you, you want to have a phone call with them for sure you know or coffee or lunch or whatever have a good 15 20 minute conversation with them get to know them pretty well and then a questionnaire is is very uh, advisable that's one of the, two, the ones where a detailed questionnaire asking you know are you accredited are you not accredited what's your investment experience you know how long have you been doing this have you invested before and like all these questions and then you're just really generally fostering that relationship where you're trying to find, I'm trying to find out information about you. You're trying to find out information about me and there's no magic timeline. It could take two days. It could take two weeks. It could take two years. It's really the quality of the interactions that matters the most. Um, but, but that's the way you, you have to go through that process. Okay. And so just one other thing that I know was kind of like um, a stepping stone of knowledge for me early on. So if I'm going to take an, a, an accredited investor into my deal, I can get them through advertising, right? So, I mean, there's... No, not necessarily. So, whether you advertise, whether you can take somebody through advertising or not is not predicated on whether they're accredited or not. It's predicated on what exemption you're relying on. So, there is an exemption, which is 506C. There's others, but that's the most common. 506C that does allow you to advertise. You are, as you know, you are now limited to accredited investors. But it is possible for you to do a 506, the other exemption that, that does not allow advertising and only accept accredited. So the pivot point is whether you're the other way around almost like the pivot point is what exemption are we going to rely on if we're relying on the one that allows us to advertise and we can only accept accredited investors. And, and so if we go the other route, is there like a certain number? Is there like a cap? Yeah. So if you're, if you're going the route where you cannot advertise, then you're allowed to take a limited number of non-accredited investors. And that number is 35. Cool. What is an accredited investor? An accredited (laughs) investor is anyone who has a net worth of a million dollars or more, excluding their primary residence or earns two has earned $200,000 the last two years. The reasonable expectation of earning that amount or more this year. And if you're married, that goes up to 300 grand. So 
Does the SEC agree with Robert Kiyosaki that your home is not an asset? Or? <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, actually, I saw a post the other day about people arguing about that still. So people argue. People get argued about the technicality. They don't get. It's really all about the concept. The principle, right? the yeah. principle is yeah. but really it's all about. Okay, so um, I just 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 for the audience in general. Um, so you know, a big a big part of I think what we're all looking for: financial freedom, growth, figuring out what it is we really want in life. I think a lot of times, um, and, and again, just for the audience, uh, you're not an asset protection attorney per se. You've done it in the past. You can do it. You're very good at it. I'm still consider myself an, I don't practice it, but I'm still, I consider myself an asset protection attorney. Well, so let's talk, let's just dig into that a little bit. Um, so, you know, people spend a lot of time, money, energy, building wealth, yep. gaining their freedom. Yep. And, and I don't think that this is a conversation only for, you know, people that are worth 10 million or a hundred million or a billion dollars, right? Like we should start thinking about this earlier. So give me the, give me the high level of asset protection. Um, there's really two main levels of asset, two angles of asset protection that you got to think about. One is you want to protect yourself from your assets. Real estate is probably the easiest example. Um, if you own a piece of real estate and you rent it out, that's a huge liability for you. Anything that happens to that tenant, they slip and fall, they get hurt, you know, a pipe blows or whatever, the owner's responsible. So you're protecting yourself by doing an asset protection strategy and, and, and taking some steps. You are protecting yourself from that asset. You, you own a dangerous asset. You want to protect. The other angle is the flip side, which is you're dangerous. You're out there every day producing liability. So if you get into a car accident, for example, I always give the example, if you run over the little lady. There's a judgment against Mike. Now you're trying to protect your assets from you because now there's a judgment against Mike. I want to go find what you have because there's a big difference between getting a judgment and actually collecting on it. So if I sue you and get a $500,000 judgment, great, I got a piece of paper and now I've got to go find $500,000 worth of assets. I mean, you know, unless you have 500 grand sitting in a bank account, you know, I'm going to look for property. I'm going to look for, you know, whatever other assets you have. And so... We want to make sure that your assets are protected from you. And, and those two are completely different, not completely, yeah, relatively different strategies that we implement. Um, sticking with real estate, and again, it doesn't apply only to real estate. You just never want to own, you never want to personally own a dangerous asset. That's kind of the overarching, because the owner's responsible. So that's why people create these entities, and, and typically they're, they're limited liability companies, LLCs, you've probably heard of those before. Uh, and those, as the name says, they limit your liability. So if instead of you owning the house, the LLC owns the house and you own the LLC, then if something happens to the tenant, they slip and fall, a pipe blows and whatever, who's responsible? The owner, who's the owner? The LLC. And that limits you, your exposure. They'll, they'll, be able, they'll absolutely be able to get to the house that they're in and whatever equity's in there, but they won't be able to go get the next house and the next house. So that's, that's kind of the, the basic principle behind it. When I've been asked this question before, when's the right time to start an LLC? I mean, should I get three rentals or should I start two businesses and then start the LLC or should I start it out? Time. What's that saying? I think it's a John F. Kennedy quote, right? The time to repair the roof is when it's sunny. I think something, I'm I'm sure I butchered it. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki says the time to put your seatbelt on is before the accident. Um, so same thing. So the, the time to do an asset protection analysis or strategy is as soon as you own anything of value, and that could even be your job. 
right? Your job, your W2 job, you're making income, right? And that's something I can get. Like if, if same example, Mike, I run, you know, you, I get a judgment against Mike for five and a grand. Oh, well, I don't have any assets. Oh, you have a job. Great. I'll start garnishing your wages. And look, I'm not going to get all of it, but I'll get 25% of your wages until mm-hmm. my judgment gets, gets paid. So, um, you know, I think for most people, insurance is probably the first line of defense. Uh, I always, that's always, so, so that's step one. Like if you own rental properties, at the very least you want to have insurance on them. Um, just like, just like, you know, you're in a car, but, but think about the car insurance. I mean, the, I don't know what the maxes are these days, but it's not a lot. Like you can't get, you can't get a $2 million car insurance policy, right? So if you kill someone or yeah. probably worse, if you, you know, make somebody a quadriplegic, it's going to be more than whatever your deductible is on your, yeah. on your car. Right. And so anything in excess of that, it, you're on the hook for. And even if you don't have anything, again, they can go after your future earnings. Interesting. Um, you mentioned to me the other day, my, my daughter started driving and you, you, yeah. you called me and what'd you say? That, that car better, that car better be in some metal. <laughs> yeah. So the car is interesting because the car, there's two levels of liability on a car. There's the owner of the car is responsible and then the driver of the car. So people are like, Oh, Mauricio, I want to put my car into an LLC. And I'm like, that's a waste of time because if you get into a car accident and you were driving it, then you're going to be on the hook anyway. Now, if you own a business, right. And your employees are driving the car, then absolutely you want to have that car in the in a, in an LLC or in the business because if your employees get into a car accident, you're going to be in the hook. Uh, and then when you got teenage kids, that's another reason to to have to have it in an LLC because now you're you know she's well first of all she's driving. I mean at the end of the day she's, you're responsible for <laughs> you know, but um but yeah so having that in an LLC would, would would make sense for that for that standpoint. I was just but, a but I'll, yeah, but I also get like obviously you just max out on the insurance, <laughs> right? Um, so you kind of already alluded to this, but I always think about um, you know, and just encouraging people to think through the asset protection piece and the LLCs and getting everything structured right. Um, when you've talked about this before, but when you're getting sued, it's too late, right? We can't transfer assets at that point in time. Yeah, we can't go can't. back. Yeah, just yeah. kind of address that real. Yeah, long. I mean that, that's why those sayings. You know, I like the, the seatbelt one's good too. Um, you know, you can't put your seatbelt on after you got into a car accident. Um, and the reason is there's, you don't, you don't even have to wait till you get sued. The minute you know that you might get sued, it's too late. Like you can't just be like, Oh, well, it's just the car accident example. Oh crap. I got into this huge car accident. Obviously you haven't gotten sued yet. You just got in the car accident this afternoon. You can't run and go set up these things and transfer your assets into these LLCs next week and think that's going to work. There's something called a fraudulent transfer. So the fraudulent transfer rules essentially say if you do a transfer like that, when you know there's a liability there, the judge can unwind that transaction and, and, you know, reverse it. So if you have an asset and you put in an LLC and you say, Hey, I don't own it. The judge is going to say, no, no, we're going to put the LLC back in your personal name and it's going to be fair game. Interesting. I know there's no black and white approach to this, but let's talk even further on. Okay. So, you know, we, we think about gaining our financial freedom and all that, but Along the theme of keeping that, protecting that, keeping it safe, um, trust planning, like family planning, legacy planning. You, you guys, do you, you work on some of that stuff? I don't. That's, that's a specific, um, that's an estate planning attorney that would do it. But I, can, I know enough about it to be dangerous, I guess, or have an intelligent conversation. A couple things with that. Um, you always want to have a will. Because if you don't have a will then it defaults back to whatever the state 
essentially the government will dictate where your money goes if you die without a will. Um, I think everybody should have a trust as well, a living, a living trust, because if you don't have a living trust, then if you die, you've got to go through the probate process to figure out who owns what. So even though if you have a will, the will will tell you who gets what, but you still have to go through a process through the courts, which is number one, public. So your dirty laundry will be, you know, who was, oh, Robin, Robin Williams, right? Who passed away yeah. not too long. Well, been a while now, but maybe how long has it been? It's been a while, right? Five years, four years. Um, he didn't have a, he didn't have a trust. So his whole estate, that was all public. You know, the media had a, had a field day. Yeah. So number one, it's not public. It's public. Number two, it takes forever. So if you go through probate, it's going to take six months. It may take a year to get all this stuff done. And number three, it costs money. You've got to pay all the court fees. So having a trust just makes that transition smooth. Now to be, to be clear, this is a, a big misconception. A living trust, which is purely an estate planning tool, avoids probate, makes the transition as seamless as possible, uh, has no asset protection value whatsoever. So just because you have a trust doesn't mean, like literally people have stuff, oh, I have a, I have a trust, so I'm protected. Like, no. A living trust has no asset protection. Now, if you have an asset protection trust, which is a little bit different, that's really a little bit more advanced. Uh, that's different, but that those those trusts are what we call irrevocable, meaning once you set those up, you can't change them. Mm. So a living trust is you're, you know, you're alive, so you can change, you can put stuff in, you can change out, you can get divorced and change the beneficiary to your first <laughs> wife, to your second wife, your kids, your kid gets, you know, whatever. But with a, with a irrevocable asset protecting trust, once you set it up, that's it, game over. You've got no, no say into it. Crazy. You got, you got some good insights. So I'm hearing don't procrastinate. Yeah, no, on the asset, but yeah, if you have any type of assets, because think about this. Let's say you're just starting out, right? And you buy a $60,000 property, right? You got to $12,000 down, you got an 80% loan, you're making 10 bucks a month, right? Like you're just right. getting started, right? And you're like, well, you're like, I got 12 grand into it. Like why? It's not worth it, right? You have unlimited exposure. Your exposure goes above and beyond whatever the value of that, even though that house might be worth 60 grand, if somebody slips and falls in that house and they have a million dollars worth of damages, you're on the hook for the million bucks. You're not capped at the value of the asset. Your liability is unlimited. So no matter what asset you have, again, don't worry about, you're not, don't worry about protecting your asset from you. In that case, yeah, like if I get into a car accident, yeah, go ahead, take my house. It's worth 12 grand. But when you're trying to protect you from your asset, it's unlimited. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you there's just this kind of, again, a recurring theme here, whether it's um, hiring a securities attorney or getting your asset planning done. You know, a lot of times I think we tend to procrastinate. And that's one of the things that I really just wanted to bring you on and encourage to everybody. I mean, it's too late. Too late, it's too late. Let me tell you something about procrastination. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned was about a year and a half ago, I got really sick and I had procrastinated doing some stuff and luckily I didn't get hit by a bus and die. I kind of went through a, a rough, you know, six to eight to 10 months. But if I'd gotten hit by a bus, we would have been in trouble, right? Um, I actually did procrastinate on some stuff. I'll tell you. So the, 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 the main thing, 
And I tell you, so one of the things I think you and I had even been talking about it at some point, um, I'd gotten the life insurance yeah. all set up, right? So if, again, if I got hit by a bus, great. I was in the process of looking into disability insurance. Wow. But I'd procrastinated, procrastinated, procrastinated. And then this happened, which totally would have kicked in a disability insurance. Now, luckily we had, you know, stuff set aside and we were fine, but that was a procrastination that I did. And the main procrastination for me was like, I got to get away from being the single point failure, right? It's, I'm a one man show. I got to do this, but you're so involved in the day to day of your business that you're like, I'll get to it tomorrow. Next I got to do it next year. Yeah. It's on my goals and you decide. And so, yeah. And that, that's what happened to me. So, so once, once I got out of it, that was priority one for me was like, stop. I started in motion. That's why I started to build the team now. So I'm no longer, if it happened again, I'm no longer a single point failure. I've got a team in place. Everything's great. Disability is a little tough because, you know, nobody's going to insure me for a little bit because of, uh, of the health stuff. But yeah, definitely do not procrastinate. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's just human nature. We're, we're, we're so busy. We're focused on what we think is important. But back to the one thing, like sometimes we just got to stop, slow down and make sure that we've got this stuff in order. And nobody wants to stop and do their trust planning and you know, sit down with an attorney or, or pay in a, I don't mean anything, bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. but no, we don't yeah. want to, you know, we don't want to spend a grand right. on attorney's fees. Like, we'll just deal with that later. And right. we always think that nothing's ever going to happen to us, but the reality is we just don't know when it's yeah. going to happen. And so, and I like what you do, you know, I, and I try and do this, I do this solo and I'm just cause we have little kids and stuff. I mean, I know you get out, you and you and Kara get away a lot to do these retreats. And, and I think getting away from whatever environment you're in, you're so involved in your business or your job and your family or just your thing you don't have to do anything fancy but just get out of that environment go rent the hotel room down the street you know and just lock yourself up for a weekend and think and just you know that's when you clear your mind a little bit and you can start focusing on that stuff. I, i'm gonna put you on the spot yeah. here and this is on the fly but i'm actually working on a thing that i call the freedom worksheet which um, has a net worth calculator we, we you know we've got this sheet where you can put your goals yeah. in all this stuff what if we put a tab in there on like uh you know a do not procrastinate checklist from mauricio Let's do it. All right. Let's I, do it. <laughs> I think that might add some value. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, th so the other side of, of procrastination, this is, this is the flip. So we always think that, you know, these, these things are never going to happen to us. Um, talk, talk to my listener that thinks, okay, well, yeah, Mauricio can, you know, quit his job. He must've been independently wealthy. Oh my God. Um, are you kidding me? Yeah. So, I mean, anybody can set their mind to a certain goal like you did when you left the law firm and just kind of talk to me about the mental process through that. The way I survived for six, I did it for six months is I sold my car and I, I'm not recommending this at all. I, <laughs> I cashed out my 401k. I paid the penalties. I paid the tax. Like it was, it was just gnarly, but that's how I had the, the, the dough to go, go to, I went to Chile for two months. Um, basically took a sabbatical and then after six months, money dried up. So, um, yeah, student debt. I mean, there's, yeah, but, but you know, when the why is big enough, then you just find a way like, and I'm guilty. I mean, the amount of excuses I give myself is obscene, right? Like every, like, Oh, you know, even you know, today I'm here in, in your neck of the woods to come see my naturopath. And I haven't done anything that told me to do. Right. I was supposed to do, I'm like, I didn't do it. I'm like, yeah. Oh, the probiotics. I was, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, and she's like, why? I'm like, yeah. you know, you just procrastinate. So, um, but when your why is big enough, I think that's, that's going to be in. So for me, the, on the, when I left the firm, the, my why was huge because I was missing all these important events. I was getting sick. wasn't a good thing. Um, and then my why, you know, you know, again, when I got sick, it's like realizing, oh my, you know, I got a, a wife and kids and daughters. I got to 
can't, I can't make that happen again. Yeah. You know, we put all this time and energy and effort into building our businesses, our careers, our brands, um, and that why. And that, you know, just even back to the formula of what do you really want? But step two is why do you want it? And I think that's extremely important. What's the why behind it? You know, we were talking about this right before we're going on. Like, you know, and I'm, and I'm, look, I'm as material driven as anyone, right? But, uh, and you had a cool thing that you were telling me about, but like, I, I, I've been trying to put like material things. Like if I get this done, I'm going to buy myself this expensive, luxurious, you know, <laughs> waste of money thing. Um, and it's getting up there. Like these things that I want to buy are, that's why I haven't bought them. Cause they're like, and that's still, it's not the right why. Like you've got to have the right why. And it's probably not materialistic because I'm, I'm proof of that. I haven't got the stuff I have to get done. Hasn't gotten done even with this, this thing dangling in front of me, that carrot's not good enough. The execution piece is difficult. I mean, I think we all get glimpses of what we really want. I think we get glimpses of why we want it. And when you really start doing the work and you get deeper on that clarity, that's probably the easier part because it's probably really kind of ingrained into us. I think where it gets difficult, the next three parts of that process, what are you going to do to get it? I think where people get stuck is they like, how am I going to create this plan to deliver whatever it is I want? And then without getting into it, you know, measuring the results, adjusting along the way. That's why I think having some kind of process, some kind of routine that you measure that with, I struggle with the same thing with health. Um, it's probably my weakest area. And I've got some accountability partners that I'm on a call once a week. Literally, here, this is crazy. <laughs> so I've got some things that I committed to for the next two weeks. And, and there's an event coming up that we're all going to be together in Aspen. If any one of us don't do what we committed to, we have to wear a shirt that's like glued and glittered that says, I'm the pod sissy. Nice. For an entire day at an event. So nice. that's a big why. That is I a big why. I don't want to wear that shirt. You know, I, I, were you there? I, I did something similar with, uh, you know, with Russ Gray, the real estate uh, co-host of the real estate guys. Uh, he's, he had, he was a, little, a lot overweight for him. I was super overweight. So we did a similar bet where whoever lost, and I can't remember the formula, but whoever lost had to go on the cruise, the cruise we talked about in front of, you know, a hundred strange, not strangers, but you know, most of them strangers. We had to do a hula dance in like a coconut bra and, you know, whatever. And um, that was a pretty good why for a while, for sure. But then, then I realized I was going to lose and so it all went. To, so I, 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 I had to go dance and do that thing. You know, since you're on that, I would feel, um, I, it's not even that I would feel bad. I, we, I need to just shout out to the real estate guys because that's how I know you. Yeah. yeah um, and, right. we, you know, we've came back to them several times throughout yeah. the show. and. Yeah. Um, in 2016, after Karen and I, we had sold our business in 2014, looking, you know, kind of what we wanted to do next. I went to a real estate guys event, um, which if you're interested in real estate syndicating, um, even on the investing side, if you're just looking for a, a, a good place to, um, you know, just expand your knowledge in investing, um, I, I highly recommend the real estate guys radio show um, it's on every podcast platform that there is. But um, Mauricio's relationship obviously goes deep with those guys. So does mine. Um, they've just done a ton for all of us. So their, their product, if you have any interest in real estate at all, they're pure education, pure, pure, pure education. And they've got, if you go on there, I think it's their website, they've got every single episode and they've been around for 10, 15 years now, maybe longer, maybe shortchanging them. Uh, they, used to, they started off as a radio show. Every single episode is archived. Wow. Um, so if you're interested in syndication, you can go through all the syndication episodes. If you're interested in flipping wholesaling, whatever, or just renting houses or whatever. It's all, it's all there. So that's a great starting, starting resource for if, if anybody who's thinking about getting involved in real estate. And there's a good chance that if you go to one of their events, you might see Mauricio and maybe even myself. Yeah, Love absolutely. That, love that group. So anyway, yeah. um, 
not not pitching the real real estate guys. We just owe them a ton. They're, yeah. they're just good people. So, uh, Mauricio, you mentioned your book, my ebook, your ebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like you never know today if the book's a book right. or if it's. An I, I want to be upfront about yeah. it. It's not. It's not a huge, but it's it, it's. I think it's super valuable. Yeah. So, how can people uh, get a hold of your book? Uh, I don't think I've got the website set up. I th- uh, if you email jail at premierlawgroup.net, premierlawgroup.net, jail at premierlawgroup.net, that will send you a copy of the ebook um, automatically. Awesome. And uh, just if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best place? Facebook? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, 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 I'm on Yeah, Facebook, uh, YouTube. I'm doing a lot of stuff on YouTube. And um, all the website, premierlawgroup.net. Uh, probably the best way to get home. Awesome. I can tell you, uh, Mauricio is putting a lot of good content out. Um, you know, just a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, he's throwing stuff out there and, um, you know, just great, great, uh, great teacher, great educator. So, uh, Mauricio, I really appreciate you being on the show. Any, any, any last words? No, I'm, this is awesome that you, uh, you're doing this for everyone. It's, uh, these are important topics. So anytime you need me to swing by, I'm happy to do it. Appreciate it. We'll circle back in a few months. Sounds like a plan. All right, everybody. Thanks. You've been listening to the Investing for Freedom podcast with Mike Ayala. For show notes and links mentioned in this episode, go to investingforfreedom.co.